This is Lake Effect from 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee Public Radio. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I'm Bonnie North. And I'm Mitch Tyke. We've been talking about agriculture in Wisconsin during our full plate series of the past few months. And with much of the harvest yet to come around the state, we're continuing that series for a few more weeks. Lake Effect contributor Dave Kozlowski is the co-owner of Pinehold Gardens in Oak Creek. His farm includes 40 to 50 different crops on 16 acres. That's smaller scale, plus the farm's sales place it in line with about a third of the commercial farms that operate in the country. Lake Effect's Audrey Nowakowski talked with Kozlowski this month about the economics of farming for him and for the larger-scale growers in Wisconsin. He says that no matter the size of the farm, growing produce is labor-intensive work. I work probably about 3,000 hours a year, which is more than full-time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and most of that time is, uh, is in the summers. So it's from, oh, probably, um, say, mid-April through mid-October, and then the hours change, largely because it's dark. We are driven by the sunlight, uh, as well as our plants. So it's going to be a lot of handwork. We do have two employees. They're seasonal. And we also have what are called worker shares. I should back up a little bit. Pinehold um, has a CSA program called Community Supported Agriculture, and, and it's particularly labor-intensive because of we are, because to meet the demands for that, we have to grow 40 to 50 different kinds of vegetables. With the CSA program, there are folks that work for us that um, are basically paid with food or with a membership to the farm, and they're called worker shares. We have 20 of those, and they work two days a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. They do a big chunk of the harvesting. Without them, it would be impossible for us to do what we do. Um, so they're critically important. Without them, we would have to hire significantly more labor, um, which would cost us significantly more. With hiring labor, do farms that mainly have one type of crop and perhaps one major company as their buyer, does that impact the amount of labor they need if it's only one certain type of skill set needed for harvesting this kind of crop? You know, say if someone's doing strictly cabbage in southeastern Wisconsin versus yourself who has all these different vegetables to do. Mm -hmm. From the farmer's perspective, yes. Uh, they can specialize their equipment. They can specialize the way their fields are planted. And the help that is hired knows what they're going to be doing Monday through Friday, 10, 12, 14 hours a day. So you can get very good at it. I've watched the folks south of us in Racine County um, pick cabbages. They're fast. <laughs> They're very quick at loading up a truck, faster than I could probably do it, even though I've been doing it for 23 years. It's just something that they do constantly. So if you're specialized, you can do that. The workers themselves, though, however, don't just do cabbages all year long. A lot of these folks move from farm to farm to farm to farm, and so they are specialized in cabbages and picking apples and whatever the case may be, wherever the work is. So it does make a difference if you're just doing a few crops and um, you can specialize your labor needs and the equipment needed to pick that. So in general, whether people are farming on your scale or perhaps even bigger acreage, would you say farming is typically not categorized as a major profitable business? I mean, <laughs> it is a necessity, but when it comes to 
other businesses of the world or, you know, you used to be in publishing yourself right. and, and right. things like that. But, yeah. you know, it's it's something that's needed, of course, because we all yeah. need to eat. There, there's an old joke. <laughs> uh, there's an old joke. Two farmers meet each other on the road and uh, and one farmer goes, boy, what would I do if I if I won the uh, he's asked, what would he do if he won the lottery? And he said, well, I'm going to buy a new car and pay off the house and travel. And the other farmer goes, what would you do? And he goes, well, I'll probably continue farming till I lose the money. Um <laughs> That's not true. Right. <laughs> Farming is a business. And so you're not in it unless you're making a profit. Farming, however, is a little bit different from other businesses in that we have to deal with variables that most businesses don't. Even in construction, in bad weather, some folks are going to get paid. Construction companies are still going to make money. They'll make up the time. Farmers in bad weather lose money. There's just no way about it. And so we have to deal with the nature as a variable. Well, how do you plan for that? Uh, say a yearly budget when you're looking ahead, say, okay, well, we think this season will turn out like this. <laughs> yeah. But of course, as you say, you never know. You, you, you never do know. And the budgets are set based on really experience in history. Um, we know by this time in our careers about how much we're going to need to spend on things. Um, we are going to need um, anywhere from... $25,000 to $30,000 to start up the season. Built into that is some money for equipment that we know is that, we, that may break down, that we may need to replace, things like that. So um, that, that's every year. We don't know what the weather's going to bring. This summer, I thought, was going to be an ideal summer for growing. I thought we were going to get rain and it was going to be warm. It's been cool and the rain has stopped. So it's, it's not been what I expected. We, we look at meteorological and climatological reports, but any meteorologist will tell you their best guess is only good out to two or three days. So farmers tend to plan like pessimists, but plant like optimists. So we hope for the best and plan for the worst. There's no other way of doing this business except like that. And if you're not doing it that way, then you're going to end up not being profitable, and then you're going to end up not being in a business. Now, your farm is strictly organic, but for those farms who do need extra costs to pay for chemicals and machinery and all the maintenance involved, how much does that factor into a yearly cost outside of paying for labor? Would you I, say the majority cost for farmers is just yeah, strictly I, buying seeds and, and I, the produce? I would say, um, well, there's economies of scale in everything, right? Mm -hmm. So a small produce farm that's using organic practices is going to have a higher labor cost. A similar-sized farm that isn't organic and use, can use conventional pesticides and herbicides um, doesn't need the labor. So far, chemicals are cheaper than hands and labor. So a conventional farm's profit margin is going to be a little higher than an organic farm's profit margin. That's one reason why organic food costs a little more. We were trying to get into that profit margin range that conventional farms can be in because the advantage they have of spraying any number of herbicides or chemicals on the, on the field. Hand weeding is labor intensive. Even um, cultivating with a tractor is slow and intensive. If you can go through a field and spray glyphosate or something like that, uh, Roundup, Boy, you save yourself a lot of hand labor and a lot of costs. So there's a monetary advantage, but a lot of debate has come up. When it comes to any product or service, people are 
willing to spend money for, you know, what is the price, the ultimate price for that cost? So what do you think the key question or issue that people face, both farmers and consumers, when buying and setting a price for produce, uh, inherent in the practices that are implemented in order to get the produce from the farm to the store? Yeah. Um, I I guess since I'm both a farmer and a consumer, um, I can see it from both sides. The farmer really has very little leeway unless you are really large and dominate a sort of uh, niche or market. Then you have a little more uh, flexibility maybe in pushing for a, a better price on contracts and things like that. Most of us, including most dairy farmers and whatnot, we pretty much have to take the price that the market gives us. In the case of, say, dairy, you know, their market prices are set by the Chicago Board of Trade. In the case of produce farmers, particularly who sell direct, our market is really priced according to what people are willing to pay for. So the, the, the issue of how much something should cost and what should go into the factoring of that falls more into the hands of the consumer. If what they want is just really cheap food, which, by the way, out of the 83 countries that the USDA monitors, the U.S. has got the cheapest food. And if that's what they want, that's what they will get. If consumers want something different, if they want organic food, if they wanted uh, food that tastes better, if they wanted food that was locally grown, if they wanted food where they, they knew the farm and the farmer, they will have to seek that out and farms will do likewise. It's happening in baby steps already, actually. There is a growing interest in people wanting to eat better. It's slow. Tiny baby steps. But where I see the effect, really, is on the conventional side. When you look at the trade journals and things for uh, growers of, uh, this is, again, produce, you're seeing them slipping farther and farther away from using just straight-up chemicals, herbicides and pesticides, and going more to the biological uh, uses of things, which is, what the chem- which is what the organic growers use. They're recognizing that the market is um, heading towards a little healthier food choices. So I don't set the price. I mean, we, we know how much we have to make to make a profit and to stay in business. But that's flexible based on what the consumer is willing to pay. So it's up to them. The ball's in their court. So if the ball's in their court, but yet you only plant so much per year, isn't there the risk of either overestimating or underestimating what price the consumer's willing every to pay? Every year. Every year. Yep. Another thing that industry, large agribusiness type things that really rely on hundreds and hundreds of migrant workers and is a current debate is that if you increase the labor costs, if you give your workers a better living wage, then the price of food will skyrocket. Is this true, do you think? Um, Yes and no. (laughs) Uh, Again, we're dealing with economies of scale. If the large California growers were to raise the wage of their workers to $15 an hour, which is reasonable, it would increase the average consumer's food costs, $21 a year. Nothing, basically. That's not quite the same, I think, if you're a smaller farm and you need to hire more workers. That's going to have a bigger impact on your profitability 
and it make it much more difficult to be a business. We pay our workers $10.50 an hour. Um, if we had to pay them $15 an hour, I am not sure that we could stay in the business. So it's an economy of scale thing. It's possible that we could if we express to our people who buy from us that we need to do this and we need to raise our prices. Again, the ball's in their court. So as you say, what one issue is for, say, a massive agribusiness out in northern Wisconsin is not going to have the same results for all the other farms. No. And, and mm-hmm. you know, the, the, I think this needs to be studied further because I would yeah. like to know where the sweet spot is. Where is the spot where if you're doing 40 acres of vegetables that um, you can afford to hire X number of employees and still make a profit? I know a farmer who is doing 30 acres of produce plus a heck of a lot more sweet corn. They're having a difficult time paying enough labor to make a profit. So I suspect that the amount is higher than that. Maybe it's 80 acres of produce. And again, it depends. You know, a dairy farm is another thing. A fruit uh, orchard is another thing. If you're growing corn and soybean, it's another thing too. So it really depends on the type of farm. And what do you think is the ultimate question of responsibility for consumers if we want to see farmers be able to maybe not worry so much during the year with profit and scale, but also on the larger agribusiness scale, see workers treated better and practices changed? Um, Convenience is still the rule of the land right now. They're going to have to, well, I think Houston is an interesting situation here. Um, There was a natural disaster there that has shut down the fourth largest city in the United States. It happens to be Houston where it's a port and there's a lot of industry down there, so it's going to affect those uh, market sectors. What happens if such a thing happened in California? Or what happens if uh, we happen to be importing a great deal of food now from Canada and Mexico, but increasingly we're importing food from China and India? What happens if there's natural disasters there? The amount of food that we have in the pipeline is three days. If there is a cataclysmic something that happens in California or Mexico or Canada or China, we don't have a lot of resiliency in our food system. So that concerns me. And I wonder if we wouldn't be better off, if the consumer wouldn't be better off, if we started thinking more on a regional basis. So one thing they should consider is maybe they should be supporting, you know, uh, regional farms and local farms. Maybe they should be thinking about the quality or the health of their food. So I should hope that eventually consumers would raise a voice and start wanting to see changes in the food system, as I suggested I think might be necessary, and um, also use their dollars to support the, the food that they think is accomplishing the goals of a more resilient food system. And perhaps the industry will listen and the market will listen. I, I think it will. Farmers aren't dumb. They want to make a living. They want to stay in business. And they will do what they need to do to do that. All right, Dave. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Dave Kozlowski and his wife, Sandy Rodens, are owners of Pinehole Gardens in Oak Creek. Kozlowski spoke with Lake Effects' Audrey Nowakowski. You can find all the parts of our Full Plate series at wuwm.com. Thank you.